0: What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? And thank you very much for tuning into this edition of The Drop In. It's for you, it is to inspire you to get off your damn couch and make life happen. That's the whole reason we do this here at NRM to inspire the world, to make the most of the life that you have. You know, I have had my ups and downs. Everybody knows it. I talk about it on here all the time. And your perception of your reality is yours. Yours alone. If they take two eyewitnesses of a crime, they both see things differently. So start looking at the world half full. Half full. And fake it till you make it. I don't even freaking care. Just start looking at the world half full and you start getting it back tenfold. And that is one of the many takeaways you will have on today's additional of the drop-in the guests today. I will tell you what we are going to go be go back all the way to the Beatles on freaking Ed Sullivan. We are going to go even further than that and walk you through some rad things in the sixties and seventies. And I'm going to end the opening monologue here and introduce you, the drop in audience, to Mr. Tom
1: Weschler. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon, ma'am. It's my pleasure. So much uh, has been said about this show, and 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 now here I am. <laughs> I, I I really, I'm really enjoying myself so far. It looks good. <laughs>
0: well, I, I want to thank you for for stopping by and visiting with us for an hour. Going to sk- share some rad stories, and I, I want to start right at the beginning. You know, Allen Park, Michigan. Yep. You started there. What happened, and how did you end up in Rochester? How was the beginning for you?
1: Well, I, I started out by being born in Detroit, right on Fourth Street and West Grand Boulevard. Near Motown, actually, but it wasn't there then in 1948 <laughs> i uh, I moved in into uh, Rochester from Allen Park the day President Kennedy was killed. It was kind of double um, trouble for me. I mean, we had the president dead and I had to go out to farm country from my home in the city, which was you know kind of shocking. went out there, met some kids in high school, you know, kind of. I'm rather amiable. I I can get along with people, so I, I got along with the kids that drove tractors to school, as well as the kids that drove hot rods. And It was announced that Ed Sullivan was going to have the Beatles on his program.
0: Before you go too much further, I love this picture. When oh my we, god! When we first started talking, you sent me this picture, and yeah. you've sent me some bangers. I mean, some really, <laughs> really incredible photos. This is my single favorite
1: picture well, you my sent. first selfie. I took that with my um, brownie camera. I had a Kodak brownie camera. I was, I believe, seven when I took that picture. Um, and it could be the first selfie. Who knows? Right. <laughs>
0: well, you said that, and I started thinking. Hmm. I wonder uh, who could be credited with the first selfie. Could be Tom Westbrook.
1: No, see the ter- television aerials on the
0: uh, on the houses. Oh yeah. 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 Do you ever have to stand in front of the TV with the tin foil oh, and sure. stuff like yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Tin
1: foil. Wrap it around those protrusions. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. how
0: old were you here?
1: I, I think I was seven, six or seven. And how'd you get a hold of a camera at that point? Well, my mom let me borrow hers. But that Christmas, I, they bought me my own. And I had a Christmas present, and I've never been without a camera since. And now, were you in Rochester or Allen Park when you took this shot? Hey, Allen Park. I We moved uh, in 63 from okay. Allen Park. I, I, I grew up there. That was my... You know my home. And I was, all my homies were there. All my locations were there. All the uh, the girls that I liked were there, and it was big fun. And all of a sudden, we had to move to Rochester. My father got promoted. That's why. He w- worked for Ford's, and he had to go out and run the test track out in Romeo. And I was like, oh God. You know? <laughs> But at least I got, you know, I told my parents, I said, Look, I ain't moving unless I can have my own TV in my bedroom and blue shag carpeting. <laughs> we cut the deal, and I moved. Those are, those
0: are some uh, crazy demands. You know, kids yeah. nowadays, they want a 55 inch flat screen and yeah. the best smartphone you can possibly have. You want a cool shag and a TV. Yep, yeah, that's it. Blue shag carpeting and a black and white Philco. Now you you had a you have a very interesting story of how you fit in <laughs> with with and this this picture leads right into what I'm getting to. You know the Beatles are going to be on Ed Sullivan. You have a camera and you photographed the TV.
1: Yeah, I photographed my television with the Beatles on it. I I had a th- this camera was a, a better one than I had when I was a little kid. My parents bought me a Brownie Super 27 elongated really beautiful camera and um it didn't have a tripod nipple on it so i had to rig that i i did it with a railroad tie from a model railroad and glued that on there and anyway i got it on the tripod and i just started clicking when the when the program began and i photographed the whole show and that night um there were they were on for three nights in a row three sundays in a row and i did all three sundays but you know the first night I had developed the, fl- the film in my mom's bathroom, which was my dark room at the time, and dried the negatives with a hair dryer and printed little proof prints, about two by three size proof prints on Kodak Velox paper. And I took them in, taped them into my notebook, and Monday morning I got on the bus And I thought I was feeling a little cocky because I was sure I was the only one who had pictures of that show and everybody watched it. And I sat next to the hottest senior girl I could find on the bus. She looked at me like, what do you want? And I said, well, did you see the Beatles last night? And she says, didn't everyone. And I said, well, yeah, you want to see him again? And I opened my notebook and she gasped. No, no more smart aleck remarks coming out of her. She said, can I borrow this? And I went, yeah, sure. She said, I'll meet you at the lunch table and, and you know, I'll give it back to you. I went, okay. I'm thinking one thing. She's got something else on her mind. When I finally got to the lunch table a few hours later, she was waiting at the end of the table for me. And I looked at her and I was like, what's this she had a pile of money in front of her half dollars which were big back in 64 um, quarters and singles and she slid that across the table to me and i said what's this money for she said well you, you have the negatives for this uh these pictures don't you and i went yeah she goes good i sold a whole bunch of them <laughs> print this list tonight i'll do your homework for you and we'll keep doing this until everybody has a picture and we did So your, you know, one of your very first,
0: uh, I guess, interactions with other folks in your camera is you shoot some rad photos. You know, the Beatles. I mean, it's not like today. It's not like today where everybody can just click, look at their phone, whatever. I mean, nobody was going to see that after Sunday night on the Ed Sullivan Show. You weren't going to see it again until next week. That's right. You show up on the bus. You got images of the Beatles. The hot chick is all into it. And next thing you know, you have a smoking hot friend and a pile of
1: cash. I put the blinders on. And I never looked back.
0: <laughs> now that, when you told me that story, uh, I was I was blown away because it really puts things into perspective how technology has really changed things.
1: It certainly has. Everybody's a photographer nowadays, and um, there's some pretty good images that you can get from from uh, cell phones. I mean, the iPhone 11, the, the newest one, is. And every bit as good as uh, as a, a Nikon F was back in, in the day when I started.
0: Right. And I was speaking with somebody just the other day, and we were talking about skateboard photography. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about the megapixels on a phone camera. Uh-huh. Ten years ago, when somebody was shooting a even a cover uh, of me, a shot uh-huh. for a cover, yeah. that was the best digital camera at the time. Well, now some phones can can rival that camera from ten years yeah. ago.
1: They, they have... Uh, amazing uh, imaging nowadays. Um, I, I like it. I think it's great. I I was um, lucky enough to come in. I was teaching photography at the beginning of the digital age. Uh, and I was teaching the, the kids. I taught at Academy of the Sacred Heart in Bloomfield Hills, how I got a job at an all-girls Catholic high school after being a rock and roll roadie. I, well, my aunt was a nun. Let's put it that way. But I... I was teaching traditional, you know, develop your film in, in with it in the tanks and with chemicals and all of that, and then digital came along. And I talked to the nuns into buying my class eleven different um, what do you call them um, Apple computers, so we could you know use the the digital stuff we had photoshop came out in uh, 93 i believe or 92 Mm -hmm. or 93 and we started right there we combined the two of them you know traditional we still made them learn how to do all the traditional photography stuff but then we got into the digital and by the by 99 nikon had a very decent not great but a decent 6.7 megabyte uh, image a camera called the, uh, the anyway it, it it was a, a d1x a, a d1 and then they changed it to the d1x i had one of those just recently and it was fun i mean i had fun with it but it, you know, it was five grand back in the day. I bought it from my old partners at the studio for 400
0: bucks. Right, right. Well, I have to ask, you know, when you're shooting these pictures of the Beatles, how yeah. did you learn to develop film at that oh, young I age? Oh, I already
1: knew that. I, my friend, when, when I lived in Allen Park, my friend Bobby, his dad, was an amateur photographer, and he had a dark room in his basement. And when his dad was at work, me and Bobby would sneak down in there and, take out some of the paper and go out into the sun and put our hands on it and then come back in and develop it. And, and, you know, that's how I learned how to do that through um, trial and error in the dark room of my friend's father. Right on. That's yeah.
0: the see I think that's rad because I, I still screen print in my basement. Uh-huh. I I come from a punk rock, like that's the cloth I was cut from, which is very DIY. Do it yourself. And I still have the photocopied picture from the library that I paid ten cents for to print the copy of the book because you couldn't just get it at the click of a mouse. Right. And I still have that one page of how to make a silk screen. Yeah. It's still in my file folder, so I could show people, you I, know?
1: I, until my, uh, my book came out back in, in uh, 2009, the only award I ever won was the Silkscreen Cutting Award ah. in Rochester High School. Yep. Cut now ruby lith or something? Ruby lith. Yeah, yeah. With my exacto. Yeah,
0: I hated yep. doing that. So I got into drawing and oh, I could just photocopy it.
1: I love doing that.
0: I have a few taped to a side of a cabinet of some ruby lith that I cut uh-huh. out that I was proud that I cut them out as well. Yeah. Never printed a shirt with them. I was just
1: happy with the ruby lith myself. That's, you know? that's, uh, yeah. There's, so there's more coming with uh, Cell Attack and ruby lith, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you. About some of the album covers I did.
0: Yeah, and we're gonna get into that because uh, you ended up befriending Bob Seger at some point. How did how did you get to that uh, that relationship? Well, I, I
1: I met him at the first time I met him. It was he was an entertainer and he was at playing at the uh, Hideout in. Harper Woods. They all the, they called it the Gross Point. I'm laughing at the photo. Up there. Uh, they they called it the uh, Gross Point Hideout, but it was really in Harper Woods. And all my friends and I from Rochester, we'd go down there because that's where the live bands were playing, and Bob was playing there. And I uh, I went down, and he was coming outside to have a cigarette, and I was going back in to the place with this girl that I met. She wanted to go out to the car for a minute and talk things over, so we did. And on the way back in, now she said to me, she said, I don't think we can get back in. They, they, they won't let you back in if you've already been in. I said, that's okay. Buzzy Van Houten was the guy that smelled people's breath. He was the bouncer there. <laughs> True. And um, so I said, I think we'll be okay. I, I've met the guy many times, and I think it's okay. But right then, Bob came out of the side door. And he was going to have a cigarette. He came outside. And I said, oh, let's go over here. I said, hi, Bob. He goes, hello. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. I said, can, can we come back in this way? He goes, oh, you guys snuck out, huh? All right, go ahead. And I kept on walking, thinking this girl was right by my side. She wasn't. <laughs> Buzzy came up to me, and he goes, hey, didn't you go outside with the girl? I went, yeah. He goes, look over there. I said, What? She said, "I won't see her no more," and she's sitting there talking about. Uh,
0: and that was your introduction about. That was Seger. my introduction to Mr.
1: Seger, yes.
0: And so, so you meet him there. How do you parlay that into you know, roadie, and then moving up that food chain? Well,
1: I, I don't know if parlay means it assumes that the, that I did something to do it. I all I did was I had a friend called Crinkle, Richard Kreitzkamp but we called him Crinkle because nobody could pronounce his name properly. And he was Bob's road manager at the time. He called me knowing that I worked in music stores and knew how to set up equipment and was familiar with bands and so on. And he said, listen, one of my guys is sick, man. Can you help me set up for for Seeger tonight? I said, yeah, where? He said, at um, Callahan Hall down at UAD. I went, yeah, sure, I'll be there. So I went down and did that. And he said, "Well, w- would you come on the road with me? We're gonna we're going to play a couple of gigs out on the road." And I went, "Yeah, sure." So, do I get paid? He goes, "Yeah, sure. I'll pay you." He had to pay me out of his own pocket because he worked for Punch. <laughs> That's another story. Anyway, I uh, I did that, and he got sick, and I ended up you know knowing the band after a couple of months, and I punch called me at at home at my mom's house and he said you're road manager now crinkles in the hospital man I was like oh geez okay is he all right see he he was gonna be all right but he's not gonna be road manager anymore you are the band wants you and so and bob says you're okay so you're it and i was like okay so how much do i get paid he goes oh you, you get 150 a week i went oh that's pretty decent back then this was in 1969, okay. And I said, "Well, how much do we pay the other guys?" He said, "I don't care. It's up to you. You pay them out of your salary." <laughs> oh, I was like, "What?" <laughs> and so I went to a lot of gigs and, and got there early when we were playing high schools and and like that. And I, you know, find the biggest guys I could. Say, hey, "You guys want to get in free? Help me with this stuff." <laughs> and that's how I did my first road management stint.
0: And now, many people watching this show, they they'll know the Bob Seger name. I mean, he is a an international superstar with everything that he's done. Absolutely, uh, the, I, the guy is incredible. I, he is truly an incredible person. And we were fortunate enough to get a little bit behind the scenes of him as an everyday person because Cole Seeger, his son, has been a guest here on the Drop In. Yes, we had a, so
1: I found out. <laughs> yeah,
0: we had a phenomenal hour. Cole and I still one of my favorite shows ever so far in the short life of the Drop In. But he sounds like. An amazing person, but when you were working with them, you're talking about freaking high schools. I yeah, mean, this we, is we Bob Seeger. You're talking about high schools. We played
1: high schools. We played um, little bars all over the place. We, our, our venues were if it wasn't a high school, which held a lot of kids, we we had two or three hundred people a night, and you know that was nice. We had we played the Sugar Shack down in Columbus, Ohio. Great place. That was our on the way out of town and on the way back into town gigs so we could pick up some money. We uh, we played in, in Rush Street in Chicago. There's a lot of small places there. Uh, we played in, we, the weirdest gig we ever did was at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. They hired us for a lot of money. I think we got 4,500 bucks, and all we had to do three, three times is play a 40-minute set in front of a bunch of students who were writing down their, or their impressions of the, of the show. Was it some kind of scientific study uh, or apparently, something? Apparently, but it was like the easiest money we ever made. Where everybody was clapping five. It was like, whoa, this is great. And then, you know, we were in Madison, which was one of the female good-looking capitals of the world. And, and it was great. And, you know, anyhow, that, that's another story. Roadies, you know, anyway.
0: (laughs) So throughout this time, I mean, from the beginning, were you documenting it with your camera?
1: Uh, Yeah. From the beginning? I took pictures of just about everything except when I was working. I didn't have my camera out. I I don't have many pictures of the band playing. I did their publicity pictures, did those, and I did um, photos when, um, like, a publication would want a picture of Bob. I would do that bob seemed to like the way i took pictures of him and and you know i don't blame him because they're good because he's easy to take photos of he's a handsome dude and uh it, it worked out great the the photography part of it i started doing album cover photos and you know we we did that for a while um actually i his latest album i did the, the back of it there was a picture of Glen fry drive on the back of of the album and uh the album's called I Knew You When. And uh, Bob said, hey, Weschler, he called the office. I was still working at the office at the time. It was a couple of years ago. He said, hey, you got to go down to Royal Oak and take a picture of that sign. We're going to put it on the back of the album. And I said, okay. And I did. It was winter. You know, it was like dead of winter. And there's this road yeah. sign that says Glen Fry Drive in honor of Glenn because he had passed away just recently at, at that time.
0: And you had sent me some amazing photos of other, uh, I mean, really, at the time, probably not known. But as, as the years have moved on, you have got to photograph. I mean, we're talking Queen. Yeah. We're talking freaking Led Zeppelin.
1: Led Zeppelin, yeah. That I mean, was in Chicago. That was in 1969 at the uh, Kinetic Playground. That was a fun night.
0: Now, that had to be early in their career as yeah. well.
1: Everybody looks at that picture and says, Led Zeppelin. And I said, yeah, look at the ball. Oh, oh yeah.
0: <laughs> but you got, to, you got to see some of the craziest people. I mean, uh, we got Eddie Van Halen
1: here looking very, very young. Oh, uh, yeah. That was in, I think, 78 or 79 at, at Masonic. I love that's one of my favorite pictures. I I, that just says rock and roll. It totally does. And I, he was great. Now, when you were shooting these, did you get to meet these guys as well? Yeah. How
0: how was Eddie Van Halen as a person back then?
1: Hyper. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Pleasant. You know, he wasn't you know a dick or anything like that, Um, but he was hyper, and um, he reminded me of this movie star this girl movie star um <laughs> and i told him that and he goes yeah other people have said that too um, oh god what was her name anyway she looks just like him
0: <laughs> and then you got freddie mercury yeah here. freddie
1: that i like that shot too that's another one of my favorites i i that's at kobo arena back in 78 um yeah, I, I, the kids' hands going up. I like that.
0: It's a great shot, and talk about an amazing talent to be able to witness it at that at that young time in their career, even. Yeah, I was
1: lucky. I there was, I, I was I was hooked up with all the record company promotion men. They were most of them were friends of mine, and that's how I I did that. That's Tom Petty there. I uh, Bob and I both went to that show. It was in October of '79. And uh, we drove down. There. I think he drove, and we got down there and um, took some photos. Uh, I did, and you know Bob was in the back and I, I went back later, and I got a photo of the two of them together too and that's uh, I mean Tom
0: Petty ha- is a songwriting machine. I yeah, like his style I too. like the way he writes i think uh, I think full moon fever from start to finish, uh, one of my favorite records running down a dream awesome every song on it but that is such a a, a classic
1: pose of Tom Petty I agree, but the pose and the artist wasn't what I was taking yeah. a picture of it's the um Bigsby vibrator that he's got on his uh, Telecaster it's a rare thing to put a Bigsby on a Telecaster <laughs> really yeah and uh, he saw that photo I sent it to to him via email and he said hey can I put this on my website man send me a Kyle, send me like a print of that would you I said yeah sure I did you know Now
0: again nice guy
1: yeah very yeah. nice guy very pleasant Southern accent, you know, Gator guy, you know, he's from, um, where is he from? Northern
0: Florida. Okay. You know. And they have a, the, the, the Floridians have a crazy
1: accent. But then we have Pat Benatar. Oh, wonderful. She was such a nice girl. She's wonderful.
0: still rocking it, I believe.
1: She is. And she's just, that was in 78. Eight at WABX. Her and her boyfriend at the time, Neil Giraldo, were there and I was photographing an interview that they were doing for the record company. And later we went out to eat and Geraldo being a, a Italian from Cleveland.
0: Isn't he, he a drummer? Is Neil Giraldo the he, drummer?
1: He, no, he I was couldn't remember. he was her producer. Okay. And he said, you got any real Italian restaurants around here? And I went Yeah. Well I took him to Lely's uh which was at the time was like one of the best Italian restaurants and he goes, This is Sicilian. <laughs> I, I went, Ain't that Italian? Right. And he goes, Yeah, but you know, I, I like the northern better. I said, Well, next time we'll go to we'll go to somewhere else. <laughs> but this is the best we can do. And he, he liked it. It was fun. You know, little things like that I I remember, I don't know why. I guess I got a good memory. Apparently, you're doing pretty okay today, man. We're yeah. sitting
0: here with Tom Weschler on the drop-in, and we're only like halfway through, oh, and good. we're getting mind-boggling stories already. Because history, the coolest thing about hearing about the 60s and the 70s is uh, it. it it, it is such a pivotal time into where we're at today. It doesn't matter if it's photography, if it's music, all that stuff. Uh, the evolution of how we got to where we got to today, and you were in it. You were in the thick of it. You were you are living that life. Does anybody stand out other than Seeger, obviously, because you spent a lot of time with him? Does any of these rockers stand out like any above any of the rest, or are they, is it is that, all just a rad
1: experience? Well, I I have found that. Mostly, there aren't jerks out there. A lot of people get, get that impression because they hear stories about well, Led Zeppelin throwing TVs out, out of hotel windows and stuff. Well, that happens, but it, it didn't define the individuals. I, I've always gotten along with everybody. I mean, um, John Mellencamp, he used to be Johnny Cougar when I first met him, and he hated that name. He said, man, I can't stand that name. I said, well, I'll just call you whatever you want. He says, just call me John. I said, okay. I met him real early on in his career. Um, Indiana f- guy, right? Yeah, yeah. He's from uh, uh, Bloomington, yep. where, where this Indiana University of Indiana is. He, said, he told me once, he said, some of my friends, this is when he started making it. You know, I, I photographed him over the years, and one of the times that he was getting more popular he said, one of my buddies asked me, how come I don't move like to L.A. or something? And I told him, listen, man, this is the University of Indiana, is in my hometown, and every fall, 6,000 brand-new co-eds come to town. <laughs> I thought all, that was pretty cool.
0: It all goes back to being driven by the opposite sex. Exactly. Well, <laughs> there's, there's that. <laughs> well, You know, college towns are notorious for that.
1: Yeah, you know? like Madison, like I mentioned earlier. Yep, yep.
0: But so you got to experience all this. I mean, uh, to be able to see. I mean, you saw Hendrix play.
1: I did. I I actually worked for Hendrix, and and uh, I worked at this music store called Artists Music. They had three branches around the Detroit area, and um, I was the young eighteen-year-old truck driver, and back then. Bands like Hendrix and The Doors and, you know, big bands didn't travel with 16 trucks, loads of equipment and stuff like that. They would contract, um, with, they'd have a deal with like a, a Fender and Vox and Acoustic, you know, the amplifier and guitar companies. And, and they would be provided equipment in the towns that they played in. And most of the places had uh, voice of theater Uh, already built in for the PA system. But most of the PA systems had an inadequate monitor system. I came up with this idea to take sure PA system columns and turn them on their side or put them off to the side of the band because they had this thing called a feedback suppression on the the amplifier for it. And I, I rigged that up. And the first one I did was for the doors. And Jim Morrison loved it. He told me, he said, Man, that's the best monitor I've ever had. It was the columns were laying on the side and on the side of the stage this way and then like this in front of them laying down.
0: Well and for our viewers, a monitor is basically an amplifier on the stage yeah. so yeah. that the performer can hear themselves. Yes. So that they can hear each other on the stage. And it is I mean, I played in bands. When you have a bad monitor or a bad monitor system, and you can't hear the rest of your players, yeah. it's easy to get out of time and stuff. So, to have a, a quality and have Jim Morrison say, hey, yeah, these that, monitors are good. Out.
1: Hendrix liked it. I did it for them. Um, and I uh, I did it for Janice Joplin. She was she was at our house one night. We I used to live down on the river, um, two houses away from the Manoogian mansion, where, uh, at the time, Jerry Cavanaugh lived there, the mayor of Detroit and uh she came to after the grandy ballroom she came to the party with one of the guys we had seven of us living in this mansion and it was a great place and she was sitting in the living room complaining about how the monitor system at the grandy just wasn't working for her and i told her look i i'm going to i'll fix that for you tomorrow and she said okay we're going to have sound check around 4 or 5 and you know, i said oh, i'll i'll get it done so i brought my sure down there my sure system down there from the store And I set it up, and she ended up loving it. That night, she came over and gave me a kiss right on stage and a swig out of her Southern Comfort bottle. I was really lucky. I think back on it now, it's like, holy smokes. But you create it. You mentioned uh, yeah.
0: in, in in our conversations, and I uh, through some of your bios that you get you find it
1: easy to get along with people. Yeah, I like getting along with people. It's it's easier than not getting along with them.
0: You know, and you brought up the other uh, different, we'll say, rock icons that you've met, yeah, and, and what kind of personalities they bring to the table. Mostly, I've,
1: they're nice people.
0: Yeah, but, and I found that in the skateboard world, you don't know, you cannot make it that far in any industry. If you are a jerk. Right. And, and even today, right. you know, you see people like David Grohl getting invited to do all these things. Guy is a quality individual. Yeah.
1: And you're saying the same thing about the folks through the 60s and 70s. Yep. They were um, – it's the same – you know, I mean, if you get along with people, that's great. That's better than not getting along with them. I mean, how how, how can that be even – Considered when getting along is so much better. It takes a lot less effort, yeah. you know,
0: just to be cool. <laughs> That's right? If you ain't cool, you ain't right. <laughs> it costs nothing to be kind. Uh, you brought up uh, designing record covers. How yeah. did that come about? Because uh, the ones you sent me, and I, I believe we have some of the photos here, uh, the record covers are very different. They're they're, they're not all the same. There's some very different covers. Yeah.
1: There's the the one they have up now is Live Bullet. Now that photo was taken by uh, a guy named Robbie Marklewitz, a friend of mine. We had a buzzy, and I were the last people standing at the uh, party that Punch had, looking at the slides for the double album, so the band members wouldn't be mad because we picked out the wrong photos. We had him all over to Punch's. He had a little farm out on uh, Beach Road in Troy, and we all went there and it was a party all night long and people were picking out their favorite photos and really late about two o'clock in the morning buzzy and i were the last two standing in the in the kitchen and that slide came up on the slide projector and i went oh man that's it so i took a magic marker and i put where i thought that you know the logo should go and the title and all that and buzzy agreed he said yep that's the cover Wessler, you got the cover. I went, okay, great. Let's go tell Punch. So we brought him down, and he turned the light on in his kitchen. Whoops. Black magic marker all over his refrigerator. (laughs) Buzzy said, I don't think that comes off. Punch goes... I'll never mention what he said, but he liked the cover, so it worked out. <laughs> and now, for our
0: viewers uh, who are not familiar with who Punch is, explain that's, to them who
1: Punch is. His name is Edward F. Andrews Jr. That's his real name, but, but he went by Punch Andrews. He went Andrews. by Punch Andrews. That's his nickname, and he's Bob Seger's manager and was for a very long time. Has been since I believe 1963 or four. Yeah, many many years, and and they're still, you know, he still manages Bob.
0: I've heard his name my whole life now this cover I think uh, that, that I was... love it because it's 72 is the year I was born so I'm stoked <laughs> on that but um, it's it's a totally
1: different cover different That's, style everything that was done by uh, a girl named Carol Bokanevich okay uh, she was one of the girls that worked for us. Um, she was one of our call-in girls. They used to call the radio stations. We mm-hmm. had a bunch of them come in after school, and they'd go, go into the office across the hall, um, and and make phone calls. Go, hey, can you play that Bob Seger record? You know that kind of we we did had an organized um, kind of like they do for political people nowadays. You know, same thing. Anyway, she was very good at at artistry, and she designed that cover. And I took the photo on the back, which has all the band in Leon Russell's studio. And uh that's that's the album that contains the original version of probably the best road song ever written, Turn the Page.
0: Really? It's the original's on that?
1: Yes, it is
0: because the the cover before this live bullet would you say that, that this that w- was
1: way before live bullet
0: okay like, well the cover we had up on the screen right. live bullet was that the album that put Seeger over the
1: top I, I w- would say yeah that and um, you know beautiful loser ha- was coming along at the same time but But the Live Bullet album really took off.
0: So when you were scribbling on a freaking refrigerator on slides, who would have thought yeah. Who would have thought yeah. that that album would end up being? I mean, who knows? That thing's like probably freaking quadruple plat. Who knows how it's many a, is it
1: sold? But m- many platinums. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, uh, that's what I love about the story. Is you're, you guys are just showing slides. Oh yeah, I don't know. Put it here. Put it there. Yeah. and every
1: and band member got to pick out which ones on the inside. There's a bunch of individual pictures of the band, and some of them are mine. Some of them aren't. You know, I didn't. I wasn't trying to get myself on the cover as a photographer as much as I wanted it to be a good-looking album for everybody to be satisfied, and that's what we ended up getting. Now, following your road life with Seeger, you continued in the industry. Yeah, you I did. You continued doing your thing. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I I stopped working on the, as his road manager in May of 1974, although I helped out when they needed me to um, for a while and you know just to get the new guy involved you know involved in what he needed to do and all that kind of thing but i basically i was gone in 74 and i had met lots of radio and record people because of my employ with them with punch and, and bob and i uh got to meet the promotion men from the record companies and i you know, ingratiated myself with them as best I could because they all needed to have photographs. And they, there was one guy, another guy was doing the same thing as I was, and Michael Marks, great photographer. And he and I were the only two games in town for that kind of photography at the time. There was Bob Alford, but he was concentrating more on live action stuff. I used to go to the radio stations with him, you know, go, and I, I did... All the R&B artists that came to town, I, everybody from uh, Natalie Cole to Lou Rawls to Peebo Bryson, I and I photographed all of them, going up to JLB and out to CHB, and and I and I, I would go with uh, the rock people to W4, and I went to uh, WABX often. We went up to Flint to TAC and ILS and Lansing. We, you know, I I. That's and that went on for years. I, into the eighties I was doing that. One time I was photographing at WRIF. I was in with Arthur, and he had deep purple in there. Richie now, Blackmore. He didn't show up. He never shows up. <laughs> and he and he didn't this time. He he's one of those aloof guys. He just doesn't show. But the rest of the band was there. And there was Ian Pace. Ian McCle- no, Ian.
0: Um, I'm not familiar with it. The, the, the singer, rest of the band. The, the
1: singer's name is Ian. Anyway, and Ian Pace is the drummer. And one of the roadies' name was Ian. And my wife and I were trying to think of a name for our son. And I said, I called her right from the studio. I said, Hey, how about Ian? She goes, Oh yeah, I like that name. And the English guy has overheard this, and they're going. All right then, as Ian, his name's going to be Ian, and Arthur c- sealed it. he goes Tommy True-Tone will name his son Ian, and that's how it happened. And my kid really gets a kick out of that now that he's 35 years old. (laughs) We might have to
0: ask Ian Bensman where his name comes from because he's a a, a very influential person here at the NRI studios. Yeah, Yeah, he's a good guy. So Ian's in good company. Um, What was CID and how did that come together? CID
1: is commercial imaging and design. And uh, two of my good friends, uh, John Isaiah and um, Rich Castillo, started that company back. I guess in the late 70s, early 80s, and um, I didn't come on board until the 90s, but um, we had a studio in Clausen. It was one of, you know, those um, places where you have a whole bunch of places on one side and a whole bunch of places on the other, and they're identical, they're like... um, you know office not really offices but like warehouses mostly Mm -hmm. well we bought two of them rented two of them and chopped out the wall in between them and we had a huge studio at in clausen and and we did photographing i mean we photographed cars and we photographed machinery that was their specialty it was doing giant machines I just was mesmerized by that I I couldn't figure out how they did it but they made them look like like candy you know it was great and that we did that and we we were also the first place in town where you could um, get we called it scanning to CD that was our ad scanning to CD we scanned your images and put them on CDs for you people didn't have that ability back then but these guys bought the right equipment to to do that and we were the only game in town for a while
0: well in Claussen being only you know half hour 45 minutes north of the city of detroit yeah. i mean you're in the thick of it yeah. there's a
1: lot going on yeah we we did we did a lot there i i was relegated to doing all the models <laughs> as if that was relegation i was happy for that i did all of the comps model comps that we did I was in charge of that, and that that was fun, and uh, I at the time I was teaching high school. At, well,
0: that's what I was going to get into next yeah.
1: because you ended up
0: like I mean sharing your talent yeah. with with a, a ton of the youth. Yeah, how did you get into freaking teaching at a Catholic school? Yeah, a girls Catholic a high girls school. Catholic school. <laughs> okay, so so hang on, rock and roll roadie. Teaching at a girls' Catholic school, there's something about that that's a little odd.
1: True that. <laughs> I, uh, my aunt was a, a nun there. She was a, a sacred, a full-fledged Sacred Heart nun, you know. And uh, she called me one day and asked if I could come out and show the girls how to operate cameras for the yearbook. And I went, "Yeah, sure. That sounds like fun." So I did. And we had a riot. I mean, all these young girls were like, Wait, man, you worked you worked on the road for Bob Seeger, man? And I'm like, Yeah. You know, and they're like, Oh man, that's so cool. Do you know how to play guitar? Yeah. We gotta teach you how to load film right now though, so let's move on to that. And I and I kept that that I had to keep doing for a while. I did that for about a year and then the Headmistress of the school called me at home one night and she said would you be interested in teaching a class at sacred heart now i don't know if you know anything about nuns but you can't say no to a nun it's not possible they they will get you to do what they want with a wooden ruler i presume yeah (laughs) i went to a catholic school when i was a little kid so i know so yeah i uh i said sure i'll come out and talk to you about it i mean i do have a job at a studio she says oh don't worry you'll be there by nine o'clock every morning i went how early do you start she said well quarter to eight i was like okay so i got there and they showed me what they wanted me to do they had a really nice dark room set up it wasn't your mom's bathroom oh, it wasn't hell no. your mom's bathroom no. it was really nice it was a bathroom but it was you know a converted nun's quarters actually it was great i set it up you know put in the equipment i brought some enlargers that i had extra in there and set the whole thing up and i taught there for 11 years it was great yeah that there's nothing better you know i i think
0: there's something that you can't equivocate with anything else. And what I mean by that is, when you're passing on your talents, your knowledge to another generation, Yeah, it's one of the best feelings well, on the planet. That's my
1: whole MO. That's what I want to do. I I believe that if... Like, I was inspired by, by The Beatles being on TV and, and by people taking pictures at sporting events. I thought, wow, that's really cool. And so I got inspired that way. I'd like to do that. I'd like to inspire people to, to to get into the arts, you know, whether it's entertainment. I mean, I've been in the entertainment business since I was in high school. I started managing bands back in 64, actually. And I worked in a music store for a few years. And And, you know, it's just, it's all like a culmination of art, in photography people say is is photography really art i said well put it this way my definition of art is art is the response elicited by a creative endeavor no response no art oh god that's terrible it's art oh man i love that it's art
0: that's a good definition
1: i know i use that for my um I had to write a. I was supposed to write a 500-word paper on Caravaggio to get admitted to my major at Oakland University, and all I did is write that one sentence. And my mentor said, "Are you out of your fucking mind?" <laughs> I, he said, "They're not. The board's not going to go for that." I said, "Well, let's see if they can argue it down." So sure enough, they said, "No, no, he can be admitted to his major. That's really, we like that saying. That's good. Okay." Then I came out and Mike Brocky, my instructor and mentor, said, 500 words on Caravaggio tomorrow morning. Or, Psh. I said, OK, OK, I'll do it.
0: <laughs> now, you say, you know, as I was talking about inspiring the youth, you know, that's one of your, uh, I guess, missions in life. And you had a great opportunity with Wayne State University. Yes, I did. How did the book Travel and
1: Man come into existence? Well, Gary Graff, the, the writer, famous uh, rock and roll very, writer, very, and good friend of mine. His his daughter and my son went to school together. Uh, we I've known Gary for years. He he was um, he came to a show of mine. Okay, I had a photography show at um, at the Clatt Gallery in Birmingham, and it was it was sponsored by um, WCSX. 97.5. The classic rock right. station So at the we time. had 97 classic rock pictures, some 1620s, some 11 by 14s and only one 8 by 10 for the point five. And we had all these rock stars and stuff, and, and Gary came to see the show, and you know we were looking at him, and I said, so what do you think of the show? He goes, photos are great, captions suck. I went, wait a minute, I wrote those. He goes... <laughs> What did I say? <laughs> Stay behind the camera, Tom. He said, "Listen, we should we should write, we should put together a book of all this stuff, man. That that would really be something cool." And I went, "Okay, great. Let's do it." So, Gary and I met up at my house, which was we were close together. We were like 2 miles apart. And uh we started going through the photographs on my computer. And I'd show him one and I, you know, a picture of Jimi Hendrix or a picture of the Doors or, you know, whatever. And each picture of Seeger, I'd have five minutes of a discussion. Okay, this is where we were at the farm, and, you know, right around the corner is, you know, and he'd go, hold it. After about 10 or 15 of those, he said, let's do a book on Seeger. There isn't one. I said, well, we can't do a book on Seeger, but we could do a book on being on the road with Seeger, because I'm not an interviewer. He goes, no, you don't have to. It's a great idea. It's just behind the scenes, what goes on on the road. And that's why it's called Traveling Man, On the Road and Behind the Scenes with Bob Seger. That's the full title of the book.
0: And what I love about that is what I love about this show. This show gives the behind-the-scenes stuff that nobody can get. <laughs> and that's what that book does, is give you the backstage, the over here, the over there, not not
1: up up front and center. A picture of Buzzy, too, in there. There's a really good one of Buzzy. <laughs> yeah, we have um, access. It was one of my special things. I had access. I knew all the union guys at all the halls because I... Was with Seeker on the road, and so I could go and go backstage and hang out with you know somebody that I wasn't working with at the time. Um, Eddie Money comes to mind. He he was playing at Cobo. God rest his soul. God rest his soul. He he's there, and we were backstage talking. And I took some photos of he and some other people, and just hung out backstage. And my friend Jack was with me. And Jack Ashton, promotion man. And uh, he, Jack went up to him and said, hey, man, I heard you used to be a New York cop. You know, being kind of smart-alecky. And Eddie Money looked at him and he goes, yeah. And he flipped him around, turned him around and flipped the file out of his top pocket. And he goes, oh, yeah, here you go, man. I'm not a cop anymore. <laughs> and Jack was stunned. He <laughs> was like, what? <laughs> so, yeah, that, those little things like that that are, you know, I just love telling them because they make the people more real. It to humanizes it. That, that don't know them.
0: I agree. Now, uh, speaking of Eddie Money, uh, he opens Pine Knob uh, DTE, whatever you want to call it, yeah. every year. Pine Knob's fine. I call it Pine Knob. <laughs> who? Do you have any predictions of who is going to be the opener of Pine Knob now? Eddie Money's done it for the last like I don't know
1: three decades. Maybe. And this is just, this is an educated guess. I would say maybe Steve Miller will, will bump up to the beginning, because he plays there every summer. But, because my students used to have a ritual. For 11 years, the ritual was the Sacred Heart girls gotta go see Steve Miller, They, you know. When they found out that I knew him and met him and had photos of him, it was like, oh boy. Yeah. I walked into this. So,
0: well, and for those of you watching around the world, uh, uh, Pine Knob is this outdoor venue, and every summer, that's where the premier concerts are. Eddie Money has opened Pine Knob. I don't know. It's been like 30 years. It's been for a, years. quite yeah. a long time. Yeah. And he recently passed away, which is a bummer. And so, who's going to do it now? We need somebody to, to carry yeah, that torch. There's
1: got to be a new guy. I think Steve Miller may, but he's, you know, getting up there too. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know.
0: I've heard a few different names kicked around. I don't have a, I'm not uh, predicting anything because no. I, I'm not a good predictor and I'm punk rock. So I'd want to see, like, uh, I don't even know, Negative Approach or some classic Detroit punk <laughs> band open. I uh,
1: Punk bands. How about the 27?
0: <laughs> I don't
1: know them, but oh, uh, we could get
0: the, the leftover members of the MC5 or the Stooges yeah. or, or or bands like that I'd be stoked on. I've been watching uh, some documentaries on
1: how they came to be, and it's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah the, um, the Stooges are—Iggy um, I, I know quite well. He went to high school with Bob. He was a sophomore when Se- Seeger was a senior. They went to Pioneer High School. It wasn't called Ann Arbor High then and uh yeah he's he's a good kid he's i mean not a kid he's he's older than i am but he's he's really he doesn't like to be called jim no? His, no it's iggy. Well, he looks like he continues to have fun
0: with life. He's done yeah. some really fun stuff as of late as, as you have been. you know we talked about uh, some of your short stories and you're working on a movie now. Yeah. I mean what you, you
1: wear so many hats now you're, you're trying to uh, put together a movie. Yeah, we're, the short stories, the ones I sent you and, and they' like I said, there's about 170 others that I've written. Uh, they're little they're anecdotes about being on the road. And the movie is going to be about being on the American road back in the 60s and 70s. It's it's going to deal with that. And uh, not any particular band, just, you know, in this case, it's going to be me and my boys being on the road. And uh, it, Bob will be featured in it, but there's other bands, too. We have... The screenwriter is—he's kind of a uh, wild guy he's from New York. Um, the producer won't let me have his name yet. He doesn't want me to bug him. He wants me just to keep writing my stories. And they have some pretty interesting things that have been cooked up for this. Uh, there's there's going to be some oh wow moments. They got me walking down a hallway. Okay. In a hotel down south with two fifteen year old girls, and I'm like, "Dudes, you can't do that to me. right." And all of a sudden he says, "It's a dream sequence." <laughs> and I went, "Oh, Okay, well then that's all right. As long as I wake up and, and I'm not in trouble. Yeah, that's that's uh, towing a very
0: delicate line, especially yeah. in in this current political climate yeah, as, that we're in. It's a dream
1: sequence. <laughs> the, the political climate that we're in nowadays had very little to do with the political climate in two years from now when the movie comes out. You know. So, you continue writing? Constantly writing? Every night, I'm staying in this motel. My house got flooded, so I'm out on the street, so I'm in a motel. It's kind of like the old days, in a way. I'm there. Well, living on the road, I mean, I, I
0: did it with skateboarding. I did it yeah. uh, for short stints playing drums in a punk rock band. You know, you really have to be malleable. You have to bend, yep. bend to each thing because you don't even know what's coming next.
1: you got to go with the
0: flow. 100% yep. you have to, and you have to be a little bit laid back. And, and still, you know, you got a job to do when you're yep. on the road,
1: but things are going to come up that you have to deal with. That's true. Um, one of the things lately that's been coming up is my son and his band. They they will say, "Hey man, what did you give me some of the sayings, man, from back in the day?" And I go, "How about fire out?" And they're like, "Wow, can we use that?" I say, "Yeah, man, fire out." Um, you know, it's like, "How about it ain't right, man?" You know that, that they, those are things that kids get. I I love teaching kids stuff. You know. <laughs> And his band is all, they're not little kids, but you know, they're young, know, and it's fun to, to tell them things like that and, and to watch the reaction. And what are they called? The varsity? Var, no, not the, just varsity. Just varsity yeah. in Chicago? From Chicago, yeah, it's great band. Uh, I mean, great band.
0: Well, and they say, you know, things are generally on a 20, 20 year cycle. You know, I I think it's sort of funny because I've been wearing Dickies and T shirts for more than 20 years. But they've they've come back. They've come back, and now you can go to skateboard shops and in the mall and buy Dickies pants. When I started wearing them, you could only get them at workwear places. Sayings and things I believe are the same. And, and, yes. and maybe maybe it's 40 years, I don't know, but things come back, and especially when the younger generation, especially if it's your son, yeah. says, hey, Dad,
1: what were they saying then, yeah. and brings it back. Well, the colloquial is always fun. That's what they say when you're on the one. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you guys are writing this stuff down, because we're talking Forrest Gump
0: t-shirts That's here. <laughs> the, the,
1: on the one is a George Clinton... Thing you know he, he's a hoot. Have you ever you probably met him? Yeah, I've never met him, but I've seen him live a
0: couple of oh, times. He's,
1: he's a hoot. He 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 calls me Leroy. That's my middle name. It really is my middle name. And uh, he said, Leroy, we're gonna go out to WCHB, man. You sure you're gonna be safe out there? I said, Shut up, man. I'm with you. How can I miss? But I he didn't know that I already knew Butterball, the promotion or the the program director. Wade Briggs Jr was his real name but the nickname Butterball. And we got out there and Butter goes, "Hey, Wes, what's up?" You know, that kind of, and it was so fun, you know. And George Clinton looked at me and goes, "All right, Leroy." <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I got to tell you the only good George
0: Clinton story I have is one time I smacked my head i I've, I've had one too many concussions, but one time I smacked my head and they put me in the ambulance and I'm like, "Don't put me in the ambulance. I don't have any insurance." And they said, "Who's the president?" And what did I say? George Clinton. I combined George Bush and Bill Clinton, told them the godfather of funk was the president. They said, You're going in the ambulance, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, we're coming down to the end of the show. Oh, no! And and, and, Tom, I cannot thank you enough, man. If our viewers want to see
1: more of your work, what's the easiest way to do it? Just Google your name? Yeah, there's a lot of my photos, are I don't have a website or anything like that. I, I probably suppose I should, but. Uh, There is a lot of them on. um, I just Googled your name. What's that place? Yeah, you could Google my name.
0: It it has all
1: the photos on
0: it. Like Pinterest or I don't even know. Pinterest
1: and there's another big one that everybody uses. Anyway, that's where a lot of people get. My photos are like floating around out there a lot. I have a hundred photos I'm going to put up on a website eventually. i got to pick out the best hundred. But I can't do that until I'm done writing the movie. Right.
0: And then, if they want to get Traveling Man, is it still available for the is, Wayne State it, University Press?
1: It's available um, in paperback on um, Amazon. Okay, cool. And there's a couple of the hardcovers still left, but they're, they're actually, they're used. And they're way more money than they were at the beginning. Well, it's it's, it's 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 great stuff, and you can was, only get it there. Yeah, they're a great pub-
0: publisher. They are. Yeah. Well, Tom, thank you so much. We're My gonna pleasure. have to have you back on because I know there's more stories that, are, oh, that there are that we need to tell the world. And thank you guys. You know, only on the drop in. You get the the behind-the-scenes scoop. And today we got it from Tom Weschler. We got uh, who we met along the road, meeting Seeger. The first selfie maybe ever we got today. And you got to see it here from the NRM studio. So I want to thank you guys so much. And make sure to tune in because more and more is coming for your viewing pleasure. And thank you once again. Share this with the world. Let's make positivity go viral. I am Gerald Valley, and this is the drop-in.